You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Story Clutter, where true personal stories about science help us to discover how weird and wonderful it is to exist in this world and be a human. I'm your host, Misha Gajewski, and this week our stories are about mystery and discovery. Or, I mean, in less romantic terms, looking for things. From a wild cat chase to secret tunnels, this episode is an adventure from start to finish. Our first story is from Sam Lyons. Sam is a comedian, musician, actor, and Gilmore Girls enthusiast. He's also a Story Collider producer. His story was first told at our team retreat last year and was then recorded at St. Louis Public Radio's Public Media Commons. His story is all about realizing you actually care for something way more than you plan to. Something deeply relatable if you've ever reluctantly fallen in love with someone or something, despite your best efforts to remain impartial. Here's Sam. Uh, you probably can't tell this uh, by observing me, but uh, growing up, I was always an avid reader. I know, I know. I see more like a five-star quarterback, <laughs> point guard, goalie situation, but no, books were it for me. Uh, I, in high school, I really, I really got into the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. Uh, I just really loved all the different stories you could find there, a lot of stories about like love and heartache and family perseverance and finding friends when you need them. But the stories that always uh, hit a little too hard for me, I couldn't really get down with, were the pet stories. I would, uh, there would always be these sections full of like, you know, chicken soup for the pet lovers. And it's always about like this kid and his puppy overcoming 15 years of adversity and then the, the puppy dies of cancer. And it's, <laughs> or a, 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 a pet parakeet goes missing, flies off for three years and never see it again. I was just reading these books like, this is terrible. Why would you want like a pet it's another creature another creature you have to like love and like expand emotion for but you can't even like talk with it like why would you set yourself for for more heartbreak and so I told myself I'm not gonna be a pet person I'm just gonna stay near and clear of it and uh and I'll, I'll never be hurt uh <laughs> and then uh and then and then I fell in love with a certified cat lady uh <laughs> Emma is, is verified beginning to end, loves cats, grew up in a family with them. And uh, when, when we met and when we started dating, she immediately took uh, a companionship for the feral cats living in my alley. She, she would come over and hang out and she'd always take out a little bit of food and, and stick out for them in the driveway. And I'd say, all right, if you want to feed these cats, like when you're here, that's fine. As long as you know, like these aren't, these aren't my cats. Like I'm not they can hang out in the yard and that's cool, but they're like, then I come in in the house and she's like, okay, sure. 
fast forward two years, uh, we're living together and we now have uh, two cats. So I, I, I clearly really stood my ground in that battle. Uh, we've, got, we've got two cats inside, Stu and Hubie, and we've still got this coven of outdoor cats that we also feed. And, you know, I love Stu and Hubie. They're, they're, they're my, my homeboys. We hang out. And I'm like, I love these cats. These are great cats. And if we want to keep taking care of the other cats, that's fine. But, like, that's in two's the limit. Like, we don't have space for more cats. And she said, okay, sure. And we go out and we feed, we used to, we would feed the cats across the alley. There's this old abandoned house. Uh, they used to take shelter in the, this um, dilapidated garage. Uh, and and the, the owners of the house had the garage cleared away. And the older couple that took care of the house for them came out shaking their fists and said, you can't feed these cats in our driveway. And, and so we moved them across to our, to our driveway and we started feeding them there. And I said, they can come to the driveway, but they're not coming in. <laughs> December of 2021, uh, I'm, I'm sitting at my desk working and I get a text from Emma. She's at work. Uh, and the text is very casual says, Hey, have you seen, uh, LaShonda today? LaShonda's not a neighbor. She's one of the cats, She's a real name we've given this cat. She says, I don't think LaShonda was at dinner last night or breakfast this morning. Have you seen her? I texted back. I said, no, I haven't seen her, but I'm also not like checking for these cats. Like I'm not... They don't clock in with me. They do their own thing. I do my own thing. Never the two shall meet. And, you know, I, I said, you know, I'm sure she's down the alley flopping around. She'll show up today or tomorrow. And it says, no, this is serious. Like, this is not like LaShonda. Like, LaShonda is always there for a meal. And in my head, I say, this is a feral cat. You don't know her schedule or her prior commitments. <laughs> So I say in my head, what I say over text is, I, I, I know it's concerning. You know, if you want tonight, we can walk up and down the alley. We'll look for her. I'm sure she'll pop up. I was like, all right, cool. And so we, we go out that night. We, we put the food out for the cats that know how to be where they're supposed to be. Uh, consider cats and they're eating. And we're, just, we're in the backyard. We're yelling out, LaShonda. LaShonda. She's, she's nowhere to be found. And we're walking up and down the alley. Some of the cats are like peering at us, following us, meowing with us. We can't find LaShonda anywhere. And, and, and I can see Emma getting more and more nervous. And I'm like, you know, mildly curious. Not to the fact that I think anything's wrong with LaShonda, but I'm just like, oh, I wonder where she's been hanging out at. I wonder what kind of stories she'll have when she comes back to us. And I tell Emma again, I'm like, I'm sure she'll be back soon enough. We just got to, you know, stay cozy. She's, a, she's a cat. She's a, she's an outdoor cat. This is why she has the freedom so she can go back and forth. Every day, you know, we go out, we feed the cats for breakfast, we feed them for dinner. And every time we go out there, we're putting out cans of food, we're yelling out, LaShonda, LaShonda. And every time she doesn't show up, I can see it start to, you know, weigh on Emma a little more. I can see she's getting really worried about this cat. And I'm, I'm starting to feel the worry too for her because I, I can see, you know, how much this cat being gone is affecting her, you know, not me at all. And I just keep on that bright smile. You know, I'm sure she's going to show up. She'll pop up and it'll just be like, she was never gone. It'll be like, you silly girl, where you been? Uh, and she just, she doesn't show up. A week goes by and we haven't seen her. Uh, and and in, in that week's time, we have brought in another one of the outdoor cats, uh, Lily, because LaShonda and Lily were A1 day one comrades. And for some reason, the day LaShonda stopped coming around, Lily got very comfortable in our basement. And so now we've got now we've got three cats, but we still don't have LaShonda. And uh, we're sitting we're sitting in the basement with Lily, and he, he's cuddling up between us. 
and we're looking at these videos, these pictures and videos we've got of the cats throughout the, the, the months and years that we've known them. And I'm watching this video uh, from a few weeks prior of LaShonda chasing me around the backyard. I've got my shoes untied because that's my business. And she enjoys this thing where I, dra- I would drag my foot around and she would shake her little butt, you know how they do, and come chasing after my shoelace. And we're sitting there we're watching this video and like, you know, and Emma, Emma starts to cry because she loves this cat. And then I start to cry because Emma is crying, I think. <laughs> I was myself, damn, she, I'm, I'm really like, I'm, I'm really feeling the emotion that other people are feeling. I'm just such an empath. I had no idea. <laughs> and as we're watching this video and these tears keep coming, I start to realize, I don't think these tears are for Emma. I think, I think these tears are for me. And, and now I'm sitting there thinking to myself, son of a bitch, I love this cat. <laughs> and I miss this cat. I wasn't, that wasn't supposed to happen. They were the outdoor cats. They were supposed to get the scraps and I go about my day. But now I'm sitting here in this basement just crying, LaShonda, LaShonda. And Emma's like, I've got my head on Emma's shoulder. I'm snotting all over her shirt. I'm like, you're the one that's supposed to be upset. I'm supposed to be comforting. And and I'm realizing that all this time I've spent being like afraid of ending up in a chicken soup for the soul book. Like I, I, I know that I'm now like I'm living a chicken soup story. Like this is, this is that moment. If I was reading this story right now, like I'd have tears dropping all over the page. The library's probably going to find me for damaging the book. And I'm, and I'm, 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 I'm not in the moment. I'm not upset that like I've broken my rule. I'm not upset that I care about this cat. I'm just upset because my cat is gone. And like, that's the moment in my head where I'm like, I need my cat back. And I just have to deal with it. And, and the next day I'm sitting at my desk again working and I get a call from Emma, which is weird because she's not at work today. She's at home. So I don't know why she doesn't just come into the room. <laughs> I answer the phone. She said, but she says, you got to come outside right now. I can, I swear I can hear LaShonda meowing. You got to come out right now. We can find her. And in my head, I'm thinking there are 30 cats in this alley. <laughs> it could be literally any one of them, but LaShonda. What I say out loud is, okay, I'll be right there. <laughs> I go running outside and she's standing in, in, in the alley right outside the yard. And she's like, got her ear straight. I'm like, what do you hear? What do you hear? I just heard her crying. Do you know, you don't hear that? And we get real quiet. And we're just standing there. And then I hear, I hear a meow, meow, meow. And I look down and it's LaShonda's sister, Pip. Don't ask me where these names came from. <laughs> it's none of our business. And Pip doesn't like interact with anyone. She does not like communicate. She comes, she eats, she runs away. But she is very intent on getting our attention. She just keeps meowing at us, meowing at us. And we're staring at her. And then she starts turning around and looking at the abandoned house that they used to hang out near. And she keeps meowing, looking at us, looking at this house. And so we go across the street and we think, okay, maybe she's like hiding in a bush somewhere. We'll find her. And so we start walking around the perimeter of the house. LaShonda, LaShonda. And as we're crossing the front of the house, I hear a meow. It's different. It's not Pip. It's not the same meow. And we stop in front of the house. LaShonda, LaShonda. And then we realize the meow is coming from inside the house. 
and we run up these rickety old steps to the front door. It's got one of these old school mail slots. We push open the mail slot. We peek in and we yell, LaShonda! And then we hear the little pitter-patter of feet running across this dilapidated hardwood floor. And we hear the nails like skitter as she slides into the door, stands up on her back legs, sticks her little stupid nose through the mail slot. LaShonda, we found you! We're freaking out. We're yanking on the door. It's locked. We're trying to lift up windows. They're all boarded shut. We have no idea what to do. We can see her staring at us through this mail slot. Emma runs home, grabs some dry food. We start scattering it through the slips. It's just all over the floor now. Hope We don't know how long she's been in there. It's been days, and we know she needs food. And so we're sitting there with her. We're just whispering sweet nothings through the mail slot. <laughs> we're calling the police. We're calling animal control, stray rescue, PETA, freaking Elon Musk, and... <laughs> We're like, we need help rescuing this animal stuck in a house. And everybody just keeps telling us, oh, I'm sorry, that's a private domicile. We can't enter it without the owner's explicit permission. And I was like, I'll give you explicit permission. And they just keep telling us that we've got to just find the owner's number and call them. And so we, we, we find a number listed to this house and we leave like four messages. Our cat's stuck in your house. Please, you have to help us. Dear God. Emma runs, goes back across to Alex. She's got to log in for a virtual meeting for work. And I'm, I'm just sitting there. You know, hoping to God that these, these owners are going to call me back. And I just keep whispering, it's okay, LaShonda, we're right here. And she's saying, mur, mur, mur. and the day keeps dragging on. I start to realize, like, we might not get her out of this house today. You know, like, they don't call back. Like, we can't just, like, burn the sucker down. Like, we're going to have to wait. But, like, we've got the number. We've left messages. We know where she is. Like, she's fine. She'll be okay. She has to wait a couple of days. And so I'm, I'm trying to steal my reserve so I can call Emma and tell her that we're going to have to sit tight. And I just don't know how to do it. And I just turn around. I look through the you know, mail slot one time. And I say, LaShonda, you doing okay? And she stands up on the little back legs again. And this time she sticks her paw through and latches onto my finger. Stop. And latches onto my finger and starts purring. And I said, screw this. And I jump up and I run back across the alley into the house. I get my toolkit out, get my screwdriver. And I go around to the back door of the house. Emma's with me and we get the plywood boards off of this door and the, the screen door has no glass on it. It's just completely open. And we, we can see LaShonda running around in the front of the house. And I, I reach my hand through and I unlock the screen door and we open it up and the loudest, most obnoxious security alarm <laughs> goes off in this abandoned house. Let me remind you. LaShonda says, runs up the stairs to the second floor. Emma says no, runs into the house after, chases her up the stairs, scoops up in her arms, runs back down the stairs, runs out the front door of this house that we don't own. And there's neighbors all across the street sticking their heads out trying to see where this alarm is coming from. Emma just takes off running down the block with the cat. I go out the back door, get the screwdriver, board the house back up. We get home, we throw LaShonda into the basement. We don't throw her. We, gen we gently place her in the basement with her brother Lily. Everybody's fine now. You're good. You live here now. Close the basement. I go back to my desk, get back to work. And 20 minutes go by, and then I hear a bang, 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 knock on the door. What could it possibly be now? I get up, I go to the front door, and it's the uh, elder gentleman from across the alley that takes care of this house the one that we've called and left six voicemails for, saying we've got a cat stuck in their house. And I open the door and say, hey, how's it going? How are you? 
So yeah, we got some uh, some voicemails. I think we're from y'all. Y'all had a, a cat missing or something. I was like, yeah, yeah, she was missing for a while, but she uh, lo and behold, she popped back up. I said, huh? Well, the voicemail said that y'all thought she might be stuck in the house, and and, and it was weird because then we got uh, a call from the security company saying the alarm had gone off. I just gasped. I said, wait a minute, somebody broke into your house? <laughs> the alarm went off? I, this is not how I remember this neighborhood coming up, man. That is. Did they take anything? Well, we were just hoping the cat got out. Yeah, the cat got I don't know what she was doing in there. Maybe she set the alarm off on her way out. I'll be sure to talk to her about that, man. I'm really sorry. Uh, have a great day. And then closed the door, went back to work. Uh, <laughs> so now I have four cats in my house. Uh, and, and now if I'm screaming out, LaShonda, LaShonda, uh, it's never because she's missing and always because she's just decided to devour a roll of toilet paper. Uh, fresh after we set it up. Um, so the moral of the story here is never tell the world you're not a cat person because uh, they'll entice you into performing a home invasion to prove you wrong. <laughs> Thank you. That was Sam. To learn more about Sam or see some seriously cute pictures of LaShonda, visit our website, storyclatter.org. Being a storyteller on our stage is just one way to make story clutter happen, but we know that can be intimidating and might not speak to you. So maybe becoming a story clutter donor is more your speed. Story clutter donors play an increasingly important role in our ability to bring you this podcast. We're in this together. Story clutter is one big experiment that's designed to connect us around our love of discovery, curiosity, and the natural world. If you believe in the power these stories have and this mission, please consider donating to the Story Clutter at storyclutter.org donate. The most popular level is $10 a month, and you can make your tax-deductible donation at storyclutter.org donate. But really, any level makes a difference, and we're so grateful to everyone who supports Story Clutter. Our next story is from Baskar Sampali. Baskar is an engineer and storyteller living in the Bay Area. You might have heard his personal essays on San Francisco's KQED NPR station, or read his fictional novella, Utopia Revisited 2050. We recorded Baskar's story at our local Seattle spot, Jewelbox Theater, in March this year. His story is an inspiring and funny tale about learning to become resourceful to make a dream come true. So I was terrified of the dark when I was a small boy. I remember when I was growing up, there was a huge mango tree, two, three stories tall, right outside my bedroom window. Now, during the day, I'd play on its branches with my friends, jumping around on the tree like a monkey. But as soon as the sun went down, I'd run right back in. Why? Because to my young mind, that tree at night held all kinds of evil spirits and ghosts. And I struggled to, to fall asleep, sweat pouring down my face, my heart beating so fast, because I did not want to go to sleep, worried that those ghosts will come get me. So my poor father, he tried his best. He tried to calm me down. He said, you know, there's really nothing out there. Just, you don't have to be afraid of the dark. But it took a while. As I grew up, I got better. And I thought I had gotten rid of this irrational fear of the dark. Now, fast forward a few years later, I'm here in the US, wrapping up my master's in mechanical engineering in a university in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
And then I had this crazy idea, you know what, I need to switch and I'll switch to chemical engineering and I want to work on clean tech, developing fuel cells. I want to research it, build something with my hands, make something uh, that's, that's tangible. So I applied and I got accepted at a university in Chicago uh, for uh, another graduate program, but no funding. I was a poor graduate student, maybe $1,000 in savings. There is no way I was going to put myself through years of graduate studies with that little money. I needed a tuition scholarship, maybe a little research fellowship. So I figured, well, it's in fall, it's summer is still here. I'm gonna go to Chicago and I'll figure it out. So summer of 96, I find, found myself in Chicago with barely any money, no place to stay, and really no prospects that I knew of. So back where I'm from in India, there's a little saying that goes like this. If you don't know swimming and you're drowning, does it really matter if the water is a foot above your head or an inch above your head? <laughs> what really matters is how you deal with it. So with this in my heart, I, as soon as I stepped out of the plane, I went right to the university, I started talking to professors, and I got a lead. There was a professor in the chemical engineering department who was working on a research grant proposal for the US Army. Now, the Army, when they're out, soldiers are out in the battlefield, they needed power sources for all their communications equipment. Now these power sources need to be portable, they should be silent enough, not have any emissions or any sound, any heat signatures, so the enemy would not detect them. And fuel cells, especially methanol fuel cells, were fantastic for it. They had solved all the categories and the fuel could be uh, carried in a canister in their backpacks, perfect solution. So the professor decided to give me a shot. He said, read all the papers you want, just find your way around the lab, just don't burn the lab down, he said. <laughs> I said, okay, good, so that's an opportunity. An unpaid internship for the summer with a shot to getting paid, maybe a little uh, tuition grant for by fall. So I figured if I was successful, I'd be able to fund my education for the next couple of years, if I was not, I'd have about a month to find a job or leave the country. Now, I did not have the time to dwell on this doom and gloom scenarios. I had to find a place to stay for the summer. So I, through friends of mine, I called a few people and I uh, heard of a graduate student, an Indian graduate student on campus who had a spare couch for the summer. His name is Raj, and interesting guy. He's about a little short, thin guy, very stern, but a wicked sense of humor. So I like to think of him as an Indian version of a Charles Dickens character, uh, like headmaster with a heart of gold, maybe. Right? So he heard me out, and then he said, fine, you can crash on my couch on two conditions. One, you have to cook dinner three to four times a week, and two, you have to split the groceries bill. And I'd owe him the rent money until I got paid. It was a fantastic deal, I loved it. It solved all my problems, except there was one problem. I just didn't know how to cook. <laughs> so I didn't tell him that, of course. So that very first night, as soon as I moved in, I tried my hand at cooking, and I almost sent him to the ER. <laughs> so, but I thought, this is it. He's going to throw me out that night, very night. No, he didn't do that. He gave me another shot at it. But this time, he gave me a few pointers on how to cook. Now, granted, it was an act of self-preservation. It worked. I actually got better at cooking. Then I got starting, started to work. 
like I'd get, it got really busy. I'd get up at 4, 4 a.m. in the morning. I'd go rush out to the lab, read all the research papers I wanted discussed with all the, the postdoctoral fellows in the lab. And I started to work on this experimental setup, which is the coolest thing I ever did. What it was, I was taking an infrared spectrometer and build a fuel cell and build an elaborate system to study the fuel cell reaction. So we would think of it as a camera system I was building to study the little molecules running around my fuel cell generating the electricity. It was a fantastic opportunity. And to do that, I needed a lot of stainless steel tubing and valves and pumps and compressors and so on. And if I had to buy it, it would have cost me about $30,000. And remember, we were trying to get funding. We didn't have funding. <laughs> so we had about a budget of $5,000. So I figured we will beg, borrow, steal, whatever it is, and try to build it. Progress was extremely slow. I wasn't paid. Now, fall is right around the corner. I'm running out of savings. My credit cards are maxing out. To save money, I stopped calling my parents and my sister. I missed them terribly. This was the one lifeline I relied on for the entire week, that 20-minute phone call, gone. So fall is almost upon us. I'm pretty depressed. I'm trying to question, I'm questioning myself, is this really worth it? I'm inconveniencing so many people, is it really worth it? So with all this running in my head, I'm outside the department smoking. Of course, I had money for, for cigarettes. <laughs> so, so I'm outside smoking and um, all these running in my head and Floyd walks up. Now Floyd is an interesting guy, very high strung, full of energy. He had a story for any situation you threw at him. Now, a very good friend of mine is a technician in the lab. We started talking, and I told him, listen, I don't think it's working out. I'm going to have to quit. I'm going to have to go back to, to do something else. He heard me out a few seconds, and then he said, hey, have you thought about the tunnels? Maybe there's something in there you can use. And that's the first time I heard about tunnels and Chicago in the same sentence. So I asked him, tunnels? What tunnels? Tell me more. So that's when I, he told me that deep underneath this department, the very, very building we're standing outside of, under State Street all the way from 31st to 33rd Street are a network of tunnels built back in the 1950s. Nobody knows why. It's empty now, it's abandoned. The only reason it's there is so departments could store, store all their old equipment in that space. Nobody knew how to get in there, it's just there. Only the old timers knew about all this stuff. So he's one of them, he knew about this, he told me. That very night, I figured, this is it. This is one shot, music to my ears, I'm gonna go find this place. Except, I just didn't know where it was, where the entrance was. It's a 100-year-old building, stuff is piled up all over the basement, I'm running all over the place, I can't find this thing. And then a janitor told me, here it is. I must have run past that same spot 20 times, I just couldn't, I didn't know it was a door. It looked like a broom closet to me, hiding in plain sight. So I figured, fantastic, here it is. I, I'm eager with anticipation. I opened the door, I wanted to step right in, and then I stopped. What I saw, my, the old fear of darkness came right back. My heart is pounding, I could hear it in my ears. My hands are sweating. It's four steps leading down into a narrow corridor. One light bulb flickering. It's, it had all the elements of a horror movie. <laughs> so I figured, this. why do I need to go down this? But, Stakes are high. I had to do it. So one step at a time, let's just go down this step and see what's out there. I'm talking to myself now. So I go down these steps, down to the corridor, that one first entrance to the tunnel. I look out there, my skin started to crawl. There's maybe a few light bulbs flickering, dust covered. There is cobwebs, thick cobwebs going from 
uh, bulb to bulb, like Halloween decorations. The ground is shaking because we're right underneath the green line. Every time the train goes, the dust is raining down. And there's barely any light. I could barely see something ahead. I'm walking slowly through that narrow space, and then I see something run over my feet. Rats, huge rats. And I see, in the light, I can see cockroaches running right on the, on the walls. The air is musty and damp, and it's a little warm, which is the only nice thing about this place. <laughs> so I'm walking down this wall. I'm thinking, I think to myself, you know, what happens if the lights go out? I can't find my way back. I die of hunger. The rats would eat me. There's all these crazy thoughts running in my head. So I'm still going down there because to me, at some point, it became, I, this is how I distracted myself. I'm a character in a Jules Verne book. So I'm, I'm, but still, 30 minutes are going by, I'm losing hope, and then right there, right, I turn a corner and there it's, there it, all the stuff is. Everything that I was promised, a treasure trove of old equipment, mass spectrometers, gas chromatographs, with beautiful stainless steel tubing, valves, compressors, probably you've never seen anyone so excited about valves, but here I am telling you about this. <laughs> and it's right there, covered with dust, I could see like gold gleaming through dust. I figured, this is it, I got it. It took me three days. I went back multiple times, no more fear of any darkness anymore. I opened all, every, all this little equipment, took out whatever I needed, hauled them back up to the lab, and then I got, got to work on my experimental setup. It took me two weeks. And then data started rolling out. After that, it was a whirlwind of events. Data was so beautiful, we wrote a poster presentation, we got an award. And then quickly it led to the Army Research Grant. And then soon after that, what I coveted the most, tuition scholarship and a research assistantship. Sustenance. So when I got that paycheck right after that, it was the most beautiful piece of paper I've ever seen in my life. And then we went out to the pub to celebrate. I gave the money, rent money to, to my friend Raj for all his patience. And that little setup that I clutched together generated such wonderful data. I got two research publications and in, in, in peer-reviewed journals. Here I am, nearly three decades later. I'm still working on hydrogen fuel cells. Now this time, it's to fight climate change. So to me, this wonderful opportunity is because of the kindness of strangers and friends my dad's advice to face the darkness, and that little adventure I had deep below the streets of Chicago. Thank you. That was Baskar. If you'd like to learn more about him, you can visit our website, storyclatter.org. Our website is just one way to connect with Story Clutter, but there are so many other ways, and we hope you'll use all of them. You can always follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Head to storyclutter.org to become a financial supporter. Or if you want to come to a recording session of one of our shows or want to start your own Story Clutter show in your community, you can learn all about that on our website, too. The Story Collider is very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Misha Gajewski, along with Nikisha Roberts-Washington, Jen Chen, and Aaron Barker, Executive Director and Co-Founder of The Story Collider. 
The stories featured in today's episode were produced by Gabe Montesanti, Kent Whipple, and Juan Carlos Martinez Jr. Special thanks goes out to the Story Collider's board and staff, including Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Leslie Burnson, and Lindsay Cooper. Our theme music is by Ghost, and next week, I'll be back with some hella embarrassing stories. Get ready to cringe. Until next time, thanks so much for listening. Thank you.